We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. With me, it's Kyle Madsen of Niners Wire of the USA Today Sports Media Group, who just went super viral over the weekend. Kyle, why don't you tell us about your newfound online fame? Yeah, thanks, man. It's pretty awesome. Um, you know, the retweets and likes just flowing in, blowing up my mentions. I keep waiting for it to blow up my bank account. It hasn't yet, uh, which is unfortunate, but you know, I'm uh, internet famous for, for a day, so I'll, I'll take that in lieu of millions of dollars. So Kyle had a tweet that is up to almost 22,000 retweets and uh, 116,000 likes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very internet famous. Uh, (laughs) Not a big deal, but like Gabrielle Union liked the tweet. So did Christian McCaffrey running back for the Panthers, uh, went to college at Stanford. Um, Attack McKinley, UCLA guy, plays for the Atlanta Falcons. Carl Anthony Towns. A Kentucky guy now plays for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Max uh, several, guy. Several members of the Toronto Blue Jays farm system have also <laughs> liked the tweet. So I think that's going around the minor league clubhouses in the Blue Jays organization. So, you know, uh, a little bit higher than the level of fame I aspired to when I was a boy, but I'll take it. I'll take it for sure. Well, uh, I'm glad you're able to take some time out of your out of your new busy schedule now of being super uh, famous on Twitter to, to record yeah, this podcast. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the little people. <laughs> um, so what Kyle tweeted about was was Andrew Luck retiring over the weekend, and, and his tweet was a riff on uh, the NFL fans who happen to be angry and, and boo Andrew Luck about his decision to walk away from football. Uh, but that decision by Andrew Luck came during the 49ers preseason game Saturday night in Kansas City. Uh, We talked a lot about Jimmy Garoppolo in last week's episode because the sky was falling. He was not confident and skittish, and he went one of six in his preseason debut in Denver. And then in Kansas City, the world seemed to spin on its its axis properly. Garoppolo completed 14 of 20 for 188 yards. He had a 20-yard touchdown pass to Matt Breida, no interceptions, and a 116.2 passer rating. 
I believe the 49ers scored points on three of his five possessions. Overall, there are still some signs of rest. He started out a little bit inaccurate, uh, but it looked a lot more like the Jimmy Garoppolo that we saw in games in 2017, although maybe not quite all the way there. Uh, A lot more like the Jimmy Garoppolo I saw in training camp, and it was definitely a step in the right direction. And Kyle Shanahan talked about it after the game. And, and you know, we're a few days removed from the game by now. So I'm sure everybody has, has seen his comments and things like that. But just the overall feeling was, you know, the Monday night game in Denver was much ado about nothing. This is who Jimmy Garoppolo is. The Niners had a lot of confidence that he would get back to that player. Uh, so, Kyle, overall, what was your takeaway from from watching Garoppolo get back in the saddle? Well, I think what we talked about with that Monday night performance was that it wasn't the end of the world, but it wasn't super encouraging. So he needed to go out Saturday and just show that even in one drive, like he's still got it. Like it's still there. He's not completely psyched out. He's not completely, you know, overtaken by the yips. And he didn't look great his first couple of throws, but then you saw him settle in. And Kyle Shanahan talked about in his postgame presser on Monday how Garoppolo didn't get in positions to succeed in terms of down and distance. And they were able to do that against Kansas City. They got in some spots where he could run some play action. He could get outside the pocket. He could make some easy throws. And I think he benefited from that. And my my thing that I wanted to see from him going into the game was just steps forward and showing that he's getting closer to 100% as a quarterback. And, and he showed that on Saturday. It wasn't perfect, but he was certainly better. Yeah, he had some mistakes. There was, um, you know, obviously, as you mentioned before we came on here, he benefited from a, a defensive holding call on a third down on an incompletion to Dante Pettis, where it looked like, I'm not sure if Pettis ran the wrong route or if there was a miscommunication in terms of what they were supposed to run there. Um, but the the first drive got extended and then Garoppolo wound up um, the 49ers went for uh, they, they turned the ball over on downs at the 30 yard line. And, and what happened was Garoppolo threw a bad pass to Kendrick Bourne, probably one that he shouldn't have thrown that went basically almost right to the helmet of, of Chris Jones. And it was the third time that Garoppolo had his pass knocked down at the line of scrimmage by a defensive tackle to his right, which is which is notable, I guess. But I mean, really, it was the second drive where he got going. He had a third down completion to Marquise Goodwin. He had another third down completion to Dante Pettis. He found Richie James on that 33-yard completion between two defenders downfield, which is probably his best throw. And then it looked like he might have overthrown Matt Breida on a wheel route, but Breida did a really nice job to to get under it, dive, corral that ball, and, and not let it hit the ground for for the 20-yard score. So, yeah, I'm with you. It was it was a step in the right direction. There are still some signs of rest. He had a, he had a crossing route or a slant route to Bourne uh, that ended up getting completed, but uh, it, for 18 yards, but it, the throw was well behind him. Yeah, not uh, a good so, throw. Yeah, it wasn't a good throw, but it was it was fine. It was a, su- a successful play. He had a 27-yard completion to Rust Welly um, during the two-minute drill before halftime. So, and and there were some bad decisions in there too. He he, there was one play where he where he went for Dwelly in in the red zone and the pass went incomplete when he had Dante Pettis open on the other side of the field. Um, he threw into triple coverage, Ooh. looking for Pettis uh, before his, settling for the field goal. That was his uh, worst play of the night, I think. That was a really bad throw. Yeah, it was a bad throw because it easily could have been intercepted in the red zone, and obviously yeah, that's, just that's a, the worst like, place to throw an interception across his body into triple coverage, just not a, and Dante Pettis is not the guy who's going to go win that ball. Just a, just an ill-advised throw. Not great. Yeah. And we're going to talk about Dante Pettis in a little while, but I I don't want to go back through play by play of Garoppolo's night because I I think it was sort of expected. It was, um, you know, for 49ers fans, it it must've been just good to see him look comfortable in the pocket, uh, run a variety of different kinds of plays, see, you know, have a few long drives, get a bunch of first downs. So um, we can, I, I think I think it was it was a really encouraging performance, and and I think the, the entire Bay Area sort of took a big sigh of relief, knowing that okay, Jimmy Garoppolo is is not going to be some sort of shell of himself like he was in that Monday night game in his first action coming off the ACL injury. And that's not to say he's he's going to be an elite quarterback, 
uh, I think he still has a way to go. And it might not be, you know, he, he might not round into form really until midseason. But just, just knowing that he has a game like that in his bag to where, you know, he can he can play quarterback at a competent level um, in a preseason setting for now. I mean, that that's encouraging. And that's all right. that's all the 49ers can really expect of him at the moment. Yeah, and I think we can agree his best play was that 33-yarder down the sideline to Richie James. That was a really nice throw where he stepped up into the pocket. He delivered the ball where it needed to be. And I think that's the kind of play, like you said, just knowing that he's still got that in his bag. Like, it's still there. He can confidently throw the ball down the field. And I think the rest will come. It might take him three or four weeks. It wouldn't surprise me to see him struggle after the first couple of games. But I think once the rust is all the way knocked off and he's fully comfortable, I think there's still a good quarterback in there. Yeah, and it's also worth pointing out because we talked about it in the context of that Monday night game that he didn't have Trent Taylor and George Kittle. Um, They weren't there Saturday night either. So when the 49ers get healthy and Garoppolo has his full complement of weapons, uh, I think the 49ers could be in pretty good shape. And, and, um, you know, like I said, it was an encouraging thing for them because I'm not sure Ross Dwelly is going to make the team and Garoppolo has thrown a lot of passes to Dwelly. George Kittle is obviously a much better player and a much better option. And he's probably the 49ers' best option in the passing game. And and Taylor, of course, is Garoppolo's favorite target, particularly in third down and and red zone situations. So getting those two guys back to play with Garoppolo while utilizing the full breadth of Kyle Shanahan's offense in the regular season could yield some pretty promising returns. And and I think just overall, um, it's hard to come away from Saturday without being pretty encouraged by by what the 49ers saw from their franchise quarterback. All right, so there was a little bit of news. The 49ers were back on the practice field somewhat surprisingly on Monday, actually, because it is a short week. They have their preseason finale on Thursday against the Chargers, and it was expected that the Niners were really just going to have one actual practice, that being on Tuesday. We're recording this on a Monday night, so there was a little bit of news Monday as the 49ers did actually go back on the practice field, giving them two practices this week. Uh, the, the first two things are pretty notable. D Ford is back. He hasn't practiced since the first week of training camp because of knee tendonitis. He had platelet rich plasma injections in his knee. Uh, that process took about two weeks and then he sort of did rehab and conditioning and things like that to get back on the practice field. The 49ers were never at all worried about his potential availability for week one. They just wanted to make sure his knee was completely healthy and pain free going into the season. So he wouldn't have to deal with it as the year went on. And and obviously the goal is to get him to play 16 games at a healthy level rather than, you know, be an active participant in training camp in the preseason. So getting D Ford back, obviously their $87.5 million acquisition in the offseason, a really important player on their defense. Um, Getting him back is is good news. And he's obviously not going to play Thursday, but all signs are pointing uh, to him being ready to go and 100% for week one. Also, getting a starter back on the offensive side, Weston Richburg returned to practice. He was activated off the physically unable to perform list. Uh, We spoke to him a little bit in in, uh, the locker room today. Overall, he's just in a really good mood. He's really happy to be back. Um, He had kind of a nasty injury, and he talked about how how difficult it was to play on that injury last year. Um, It it was a nine-month rehab, or or a damn near nine-month rehab. He had surgery in early January and is now back in late August. So uh, he had to he had a tendon partially torn that connects his quadricep to his kneecap. Uh, and part of that oh. rehab was keeping his right leg locked straight, not bending his knee for a month and a half. And then so obviously dealing with that, you have atrophy, uh, your muscles weaken, and you just really have to build up the strength back in your leg after you can't bend your leg like that. So he crutches he had a he had a brace on so it was a it was a pretty brutal situation for Richburg but he was thrilled to be back on the practice field he's he you'd seen him on on the sidelines at, at practice he's really been ramping up his workouts um so the plan is for him to practice this week I'm not sure that the 49ers are going to try him out there on Thursday maybe they do just for a couple snaps a series or two uh just to knock a little bit of rust off but they certainly don't want to risk injury with him obviously um, but getting their starting center back is important for the offensive line for a couple reasons. Not only is 
you know, the 49ers made Richburg one of the highest paid centers in the league because he, they think he is one of the best centers in the league. And he didn't play like that last year in large part because of the injury. So getting him back healthy is is important from that perspective. But it also gives the, the offensive line a little bit more depth because Ben Garland, who's been starting at center throughout the offseason program and the preseason, is really a top backup along the interior. So now move everyone down a peg and, and you feel a lot better about the 49ers offensive line going forward. Um, so that's good news. Yeah, absolutely. Especially since the performance of that unit is going to be pretty vital for Jimmy Garoppolo this year. Coming off an injury, like you always want to make sure your quarterback's upright, but especially your quarterback coming off a torn ACL when he hasn't looked 100% comfortable in preseason action. So I think having an offensive line that's as healthy as humanly possible is is going to be pretty important. And I know that's important for every team, but like I said, especially for a team whose franchise quarterback is coming off a torn ACL. Yeah, and Nick Bosa, uh, there, there's nothing new on Nick Bosa, Kyle Shanahan, but said this week that there might be some clarity at, at the end of this week. So after the game on Thursday or maybe Friday um, or Saturday when we talk to Kyle Shanahan at Final Cuts, uh, we'll have we'll have a better idea whether or not Bosa is going to be available for week one. The 49ers remain hopeful that that he can play coming off that ankle sprain. Um, George Kittle returned to practice last week, so he should be fine to go for the regular season. Obviously, he's not going to play on Thursday. Um, a little bit of news at receiver. Dante Pettis has a minor groin injury. He didn't practice Monday. It's unclear what the significance of it. He said it was minor, but you never really know with these things. Uh, one, one little bit of concerning news on the, from the receiver front is Jalen Hurd uh, didn't practice today after Kyle Shanahan said he expected him to practice with back stiffness. He wasn't anywhere to be seen on the practice field. Um, and typically, you know, if somebody's going through something, you'll see them on the side field doing some, some rehab stuff. He wasn't out there at all in the early portion of practice open to reporters. So you wonder about the significance of that. We didn't get a chance to talk to Kyle Shanahan today. We talked to defensive coordinator Robert Sala uh, so we'll ask Shanahan on Tuesday uh, about herd status and, and what's going on with him. Jarek McKinnon did not practice t- today. It's looking more and more like he's going to have to open the season on injured reserve. So that's obviously not good news. But I think the play of Matt Breida on Saturday and Tevin Coleman didn't have a great game. But I think just the combination of Breida and Coleman should be plenty for the 49ers as long as those two guys are healthy. Uh, so we'll have to see how that goes. Um, but why don't we talk about Dante Pettis? Be- Please. Because I found the reaction to what Kyle Shanahan has said about him um, a little bit over the top, I guess. I, and, and I wrote about it today for the Sacramento Bee. You can go check it out at sacb.com slash 49ers. Thanks for, the, thanks for the shameless plug, Chris. But, um, you know, Kyle Shanahan has said throughout August that he wants more consistency from all the receivers. He's said it about Pettis uh, pretty consistently in that, you know, he wants to see more from him. He played Pettis in the first preseason game when just about every other starter sat. Uh, Pettis got fourth quarter reps on Saturday, which is obviously surprising for somebody who everybody expects to be a starting receiver. And so Shanahan basically said he wants he wants Pettis to play with more urgency. And, and it's something that Pettis has heard. It's it's something that Pettis and Shanahan have talked about behind the scenes. So it's not like Shanahan is calling Pettis out. But, you know, the reaction you get from Twitter, and, and I understand that it's not, you know, that reaction from that select group of people is is not an accurate representation of, of the whole. And, and you know, I, admittedly, I don't listen to a ton of talk, sports talk radio. So um, you might have to fill me in on this about the perception of, of Pettis from that standpoint, but I will say he hasn't had a great training camp. He hasn't had a great preseason, but he does look a lot better watching him practice this year than he did last year. And Shanahan calling him out has people reacting like, oh no, is this guy, is this guy a bust? Is he going to be terrible? Uh, they have so much riding on Dante Pettis. Is he bad? Why is Kyle Shanahan saying all this stuff? And I just think it's like, people just need to relax. And like Pettis looks a lot better than he did last training camp. And he wound up having a pretty solid rookie year. So Shanahan, just a little bit of background. I mean, admittedly, he said it, that he's very hard on receivers. The reason why he's hard on receivers is because he's a former receiver. And it's the one position 
not the one position, but it's the position he works the most closely with the personnel staff in terms of evaluating receivers in the draft and free agency. It's sort of like his specialty, right? His receivers. So he's very much railing against the idea of a second year slump from Pettis. And and I think Kyle Shanahan wrote about or learned about, I was going to say I wrote about it today. I think he learned about the second year slump with some of those guys last year, right? We've talked a lot about this too, in that, you know, guys like Adrian Colbert, Akella Witherspoon, Ruben Foster, obviously, CJ Beathard to a certain extent. Like there were a lot of second year players last year who the 49ers were expecting a lot out of, and they didn't get much from those guys. So Dante Pettis entering his second season, obviously Kyle Shanahan is is wanting to avoid a repeat of the Colbert Witherspoon uh, Reuben Foster scenario. And obviously Reuben Foster had a whole different set of circumstances going on away from the field. I'm just talking about between the lines and, and Foster taking a step back. Um, Shanahan is being really hard on Dante Pettis, but I don't necessarily think it's, it's a reason to be alarmed about Pettis as a player. Um, I think Pettis is going to be good. I think he looks a lot better than he did last year. And I think we should just wait until the regular season starts when we see how this offense actually functions with all its moving parts before we freak out about Dante Pettis not having any receptions in the first two preseason games, for example, um, and getting those three catches uh, in Kansas City and having some not so great plays. I, I just think it's part of the process. And with him... He's playing a different position than than he did last year. Last year, he played a lot of X receiver, which was Marquise Goodwin's spot. This year, he's playing a lot of Z. Um, so he's going through a learning curve, and the learning curve is different for every player. But I don't think it's time to ring the alarm bells about Dante Pettis because Kyle Shanahan is calling him out publicly. I think Kyle Shanahan is calling him out because he has high expectations for Pettis, and he expects a lot from him, and he's just raising the bar for him uh, because the 49ers, frankly, need Pettis to be a really good player. Well, and that's an area that they failed in last year. They didn't raise the bar for players like Akella Witherspoon and Adrian Colbert and exactly. came back to bite them. They handed them starting jobs. So right. Kyle Shanahan is not doing that this year. Pettis is going to start, right? Yeah. Like that's that's not in question. But what Shanahan is saying is he's making sure Pettis earns that. So what you mentioned you know, with Colbert and, and Witherspoon doesn't happen this year, which I think is smart. It's pre, it's a good thing. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think the important thing to look at here is not Dante Pettis' three preseason games, but I think it's more important to look at what he did last year towards the end of the year when he was fully healthy and starting to grasp the offense. You know, he might have some ups and downs in camp uh, as, he, as he establishes a rapport with Garoppolo and uh, I'm sure there are going to be mistakes here and there, but the fact of the matter is Dante Pettis is is an immensely talented player, and he didn't just lose that overnight. I mean, does he come in and perform for 16 games like he did in that four-week stretch from weeks 12 to 15 last year? Uh, probably not, but he still has a chance to be a very productive player, and I think that was the case going in, and, and I think that's going to be the case going into the year. I think there was some expectation among the fan base just based on things I, I read on on different message boards and blogs and, and on Twitter and stuff that Pettis was going to evolve into this like Julio Jones type number one receiver that's just going to get 120 targets and catch 95 balls and 10 touchdowns he's not that guy he's, he's never going to be that guy that but I think he's talented enough to be a primary target in an offense and and I think that's the the route he's headed this year regardless of of a of a lack of productivity in the preseason. Yeah, and what I, I I talked to George Kittle for this story that I wrote about today, just in the context of Kittle was the second year player who had an exemplary second season, right? He didn't he didn't take that step back after showing promise as a rookie like those other guys did. He was the example of the guy who did everything right, had a really good offseason, got his body ready. And then just had, you know, obviously a record breaking season with almost 1400 yards. And I asked him like contextually, you know, does, how is, how is Shanahan's coaching style? Like, is he, is he teaching or is he approaching Pettis any differently than anybody else? And he was like, no, like 
Shanahan said the same exact things that he said publicly about Pettis to Kittle. He said it to Jimmy Garoppolo. He said it to Joe Staley. Um, so these are all like, these are coaching points that, that aren't exclusive to Pettis. So the fact that Shanahan is singling him out and calling him out publicly is notable because he's obviously not calling, calling out Joe Staley publicly, although he would, I'm sure if somebody asked him like, Hey, what's the standard for Joe Staley, et cetera. But I just think, you know, a lot of people see Shanahan's comments and, and the fact that, you know, there are certain people who think that corrupt, that Pettis hasn't had a good camp and that's in that, portends to him not being a good player I just don't think that's true because I thought he was a lot worse in training camp as a rookie than he is right now and you know there's there's this perception that um you know Pettis talked about playing with more urgency and and his 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 answer was was kind of interesting I think Shanahan talks about it from a mindset standpoint and this might be where there's a disconnect between Pettis and Shanahan but um, I asked Pettis what it meant to, to play with more urgency. And, and he said, you know, it's kind of like running routes more deliberately because I have, hmm. because I have long, smooth strides. A, a lot of the times it looks like I'm not going hard or the way I run my routes might be different than someone who has shorter strides. So shortening up my strides is one way to do that because it sets things up better. So like, Pettis might think in his head he's running his routes as hard as he can, but they might not be as effective because he's he's taking long strides, right? Um, yeah, I think Shanahan's probably talking about Pettis's mindset overall and, and and things like that. So I wonder if there is a little bit of a disconnect between um, between Pettis and Shanahan there, but I'm not worried about it. I think Pettis is fine. Yep, I agree with you. Um, Let's take a break real quick. Because it's a brand new football season, Kyle, Antonio Brown is on the Raiders. Le'Veon Bell's, Le'Veon Bell, excuse me, is with the Jets. Odell Beckham. Tevin Coleman's on the 49ers. Tevin Coleman's on the 49ers. Odell Beckham is in Cleveland. Uh, Demontre Moore, also with the 49ers, worth keeping in mind. Uh, The one thing that hasn't changed, where I'm putting my money down on all the games, my bookie is the place to bet on football every weekend. Our Blue Wire podcasters are using mybookie.com slash Blue Wire to sign up this year. My bookie has better bonuses and more prop bets than any other sports book, period. This year, they're hosting the first online handicapping super contest. First place is guaranteed to win at least $100,000, almost as many likes as as Kyle's gotten on Twitter lately, and it only costs $100 to enter. All you got to do is pick five NFL games against the spread every week to climb the leaderboard and score your share of the huge cash prize pool. My bookie is live in-game betting on every NFL game. They've got the most rewarding player perks in the business and for you fantasy guys out there talking to you kyle you can even that's bet, me you can even bet the over under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game uh ross 12 oh over so under hard. over under 12 fantasy points on thursday uh give me the under i'm going i'm going hard under there okay. i'm i'm seeing if i can tease that down to like eight. Oh, okay okay all right so visit my bookie online today that's m-y-b-o-o-k-i-e and don't forget to use the promo code blue wire when creating your account to claim the bonus, my bookie bet win get paid. All right, so the over under in that Thursday preseason game is is hovering around thirty five and a half to thirty four. Uh, which direction are you going to go, Kyle? With with uh, with your <laughs> all this money you have with your new gig? That's a pretty small number, but I'm, I think I'm still taking the under. I think we're going to get a lot of CJ Beathard with like a porous backup offensive line and not a ton of the playmakers on offense. So I like I like it to go under there because the 49ers defense, the reserves have been doing a pretty nice job. So I think they can hold the hold the Chargers under under that 13 to 17 point mark. It sounds like Catrick Willis Catrick Willis agrees. He sure does. He just brought a toy up to me. I think he wants me to bet that uh, I think he wants me to put his toy on the under in that Niners Chargers preseason game as well. So I'm going to put a little money in, in my cat's toy on that game. Okay, so I'm glad you brought up CJ <laughs> Beathard and some of the pass catchers that, that are going to be uh, having to play in that stupid fourth preseason game. Um, so Kyle... <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. <laughs> so Kyle Shanahan uh, on Saturday night said something interesting that the plan for the 49ers is to keep all three of their quarterbacks being obviously Jimmy Garoppolo, Nick Mullins, and CJ Beathard. 
which is notable because he's making it very clear to anyone listening to him that the 49ers very much value all of their quarterbacks, which means they're not going to give up C.J. Beathard or Nick Mullins without getting a significant package in a trade. Me personally, I don't think any NFL GM is going to listen to what Kyle Shanahan says in a postgame press conference and change their opinion of what C.J. Beathard or Nick Mullins might be worth in a trade. And I don't think Kyle Shanahan thinks otherwise either. I don't think he's doing that because he's trying to drive up the value of those guys. I think he's just letting everybody know that we have NFL quality quarterbacks. And if you want to pay for them, come and get them. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if the 49ers did keep three quarterbacks. And I know there's a lot of discussion on 49ers Twitter right now about, you know, how you can construct the rest of the roster. Who are you missing out on? Um, to me, just as a personal opinion, I value having a quarterback with experience in the league and particularly experience in your system a lot more than a fringe roster player who you could probably replace with a street free agent at some point and not see much of a drop off yep. or even replace with a draft pick the next year. So with when Shanahan talks about having three quarterbacks, I look at, you know, the fringes of the roster in terms of, you know, who would you like, who would you rather have? Would you rather have CJ Beathard who Kyle Shanahan thinks can still develop into somebody like Kirk cousins? Um, or would you rather have, uh, Caden Smith as like a third tight end or a fourth tight end or Justin school as an extra tackle or Elijah Lee or Aziz Al Shair or, you know, a seventh receiver. Like I, so to me, my whole thing is that even if these guys aren't your third quarterback, isn't going to be up on the active 46 man roster on game day game days. I still think that CJ Beathard overall is a more valuable asset to have because quarterbacks are in such high demand and you don't necessarily know what you have from Jimmy Garoppolo and you're still an injury away from needing a third quarterback on the roster anyway, that I would still rather have Beathard and go for having three quarterbacks on the active roster rather than, you know, having two because you feel like you have to have a fringe roster player uh, who's not going to be up on game days either. And, you know, who might help you in a position, but is a, is a, very much a replacement level player um, unless right. unless you can get something, you know, if you can get a fifth round pick for CJ Beathard, I don't know that that's going to be out there, but I would guess that's probably the starting point of what the 49ers would take for Beathard um, because otherwise it makes more sense to keep him just given the value of quarterbacks overall. Yeah. And like, like Shanahan said, it's way too hard to find capable quarterbacks, even backups like Beathard, is he going to win a team a Super Bowl? No. But can he come in and spot start and give a team a chance to win? Yeah, we, we've seen him do that for the 49ers. And if they had a better defense over the last couple of years, he probably has a couple more wins. And there's no reason, like you said, there's just zero reason to let a guy go like that, especially given the 49ers injury issues over the last couple of years, because if they run into an issue where Garoppolo injures himself again, and then let's say Nick Mullins is the backup and he gets hurt. Now they're turning to Wilton Spate or some guy on the free agent market. And I, I'm sure there are people who are going to disagree, but CJ Beathard is going to be better than anybody who's on the free agent market in November. Yeah. CJ Beathard was probably a Garrett Selleck dropped pass near the goal line away from beating the chargers on the road in LA. Yeah. Um, he obviously didn't play well down the stretch against the Packers in Green Bay, but neither did the defense. And that's largely because of Aaron Maben or Craig Maben, who's no longer on the team. Um, they might have won that game in Green Bay. And there's obviously the game in Arizona where the defense picked on. Um, God, why am I blanking on his name? They they lost to Kwaski Tart in that game. Oh, it was um, former Ohio State guy. I should know this. He plays for the Cowboys right now. Tyvis Powell. Powell, who was in its in its safety, who uh, Josh Rosen picked on for for throughout I, the fourth quarter for that for that comeback. I mean, we, we talk a lot about we talk a lot about C.J. Beathard's record, but there there were yeah. winnable games, and not everything. He, he's not responsible entirely for his record. I know people talk about QB wins being a being a super lame stat, but 
Like if and he had some of those and, wins, we'd be talking about him in a completely different way. Yeah, and don't get it twisted. Like they've definitely lost some games because Beathard didn't play well. Yeah, totally. Like he's not. Like I said, he's not winning a team a Super Bowl. He's not Kirk Cousins, but he's better than his record. Did you shows. just call Kirk Cousins like a Super Bowl winning capable quarterback? No, I went like down a little. Okay, all right. I went like Super Bowl quarterback, and then it's like he's not even Kirk Cousins. Sure. It could like, be though. that's it down the road. Maybe, that's what Kyle I mean, Shanahan thinks. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Anyway. He could be a mid-tier NFL starter someday. Someday. You know, aim high, CJ. Aim high. Yeah, so I think having a a glut, if if you want to call it that, um, at quarterback is better for the 49ers than having a fringe roster guy who you could replace with a street free agent. So um, that's where I'm at. Uh, but we'll see if if the 49ers do get a trade offer that that they can't refuse for, for Beathard. I, I'm not sure it's going to be out there, um, but we'll have to see. That's something that we, we're going to have to watch over these next few days because final cuts are coming on Saturday. So let's talk about the bubble players that are going into Thursday night's game with kind of a lot on the line. And, and we, we have to start, uh, I guess we should start at receiver. I don't know if Kyle Shanahan has already made this decision or not, but it would seem like Kendrick Bourne, Richie James, and Jordan Matthews are three guys competing for one or two spots, depending on roster construction, whether or not the Niners want to keep six or seven receivers. So do you do you lean any any sort of way in terms of how this receiver thing is going to shake out, Kyle? When I did my last 53-man roster projection after Saturday night's game, I had them keeping seven receivers. Me too. Which is an, which is an insane amount of receivers, but... When you look at the different skill sets and how this receiving core is constructed, I think they could keep seven and play a lot of them in in different situations in a game. I don't think they'd have seven active on game days necessarily, but well, no, Trent Taylor is like, going to miss the first couple games at least. No, right. So you look at you look at that group and you see where they can all contribute in different ways, and there's not a lot of repeats in that group where you have two guys who do the same thing. Like there are some guys who provide value on special teams. Like you get the idea. So I've been keeping seven. And for now, Kendrick Bourne is the odd man out. And I think it would have been Jordan Matthews had Kyle Shanahan not heaped a ton of praise on him on Friday. Yeah. And I think Matthews is probably their best option to replace Trent Taylor in the slot right now. And I think Taylor's injury is going to factor into this. Uh, I guess the name, the player that, that really is sort of the wild card is Richie James because he can return punts. He can also play in the slot. He can return kickoffs, obviously. He's probably one of the 49ers' most fearless players just on offense overall. Like, dude is yeah. not scared of anything. You could drill him with a 260-pound linebacker and you'd be fine. Is is his value on special teams going to be enough to, to give him a roster spot? And are you going to be willing to part with him once Trent Taylor comes back? Because I'm of the mind that, like, I don't know if I want Dante Pettis returning punts all the time because that's how he got hurt last yeah. year. And he ended up missing four games because of that knee injury he had. Um, I would do everything I could to make sure Pettis is not returning punts. I know he was really good at it in college, but frankly, I haven't seen him really do it at a high level in the pros yet. Um, so yeah. I would, I would just, I would have him focus on offense and and just do what you can to to make sure he's healthy and operating at a hundred percent. So I would keep Richie James with you, like you. I I published a. a 53-man projection today, uh, and I had Pettis, Debo Samuel, Marquise Goodwin, Trent Taylor, Jordan Matthews, Jalen Hurd, and Richie James Jr., so that's seven guys, and that's a lot, particularly if you're keeping three quarterbacks, which means you might have to go light somewhere else, but um, maybe that's the offensive line where you only keep eight guys. The Niners, honestly, might not even have uh, eight qual- eight NFL-quality offensive linemen anyway, um, That's <laughs> when I was putting the 53-man together, that was the hardest part. Yeah. It's like there's the starters. Ben Garland has been good filling in for Weston Richburg. And then after that, it's just a bunch. It's it's a, a who's who of subpar reserve line. Yeah, so let's talk. I, mean, I, think, I think whatever guys you want to throw in there, you're going to get about the same. Quality. Yeah, let's talk real quick about, about the offensive linemen who it seems like there are probably four guys maybe competing for one spot. Uh, it's... Joshua Garnett, Daniel Brunskill, Justin School, and Najee Turan. And I'm going to be honest, I have not watched these guys much close. I haven't watched these guys closely at all. Um, mostly because they're, I, 
I mean, I think Josh Garnett should make the team because he's the most talented. On the other hand, he's been injured throughout just about all of Kyle Shanahan's tenure. Um, but he is way more talented than than these other guys. But he doesn't have the versatility yeah. as some of these other guys. So Daniel Brunskill is somebody who can play guard or tackle. Same for Justin School, who has the advantage of being a draft pick, even though he has not played particularly well in training camp in the preseason. Maybe you just have him for for numbers, for depth, and for that versatility. Najee Turan is somebody they like at guard. They've tried him at center. It hasn't gone particularly well. And I think he's struggled. He's he he played well midway through training camp in the preseason. He's started to take a step back. So maybe that leaves the window open for Garnett. But I think those four guys, they're all going to get a lot of playing time on Thursday. And maybe it's that, you know, maybe Kyle Shanahan has already decided who he's going to keep along that offensive line. But the Joshua Garnett question is is one of the more interesting ones, because it would make sense to have him as your top backup guard aside from Ben Garland, who's really your backup center too, um, just because Garnett has upside and he should develop. He has a skill set of a starter in the league, but injuries and consistency have, have been his issues. Daniel Brunskill being the first, just real quick, Daniel Brunskill being the first player off the bench after Mike Person came out and Brunskill running with the ones at right guard was fascinating to me because we talked a little bit about him before. He was a tight end in college, switched to tackle, and is still kind of learning the position. And he spent some time, I think it was in Atlanta on their practice squad. And if he can give you some snaps at tackle and at guard with his athleticism, I think he's an extremely intriguing player. That's okay. That's enough talk about the backup offense. So, yeah. And one guy I think is, should probably be the focal point of this discussion in terms of like seven receivers or three quarterbacks, where you skim elsewhere aside from the offensive line is Adrian Colbert, who's essentially a third string safety right now because he's behind Jimmy Ward and Tarverius Moore. And it's also interesting that Jimmy Ward played nickel in that Saturday game in addition to free safety. So in base, he played free safety sub. He moved to nickel, allowing Tarverius Moore to move to free safety, which I think is a good way for the 49ers to get their best players on the field. But that being said, I think it might make Adrian Colbert expendable because if you have three quarterbacks or seven receivers or nine offensive linemen or 10 defensive linemen, that's going to make it really tough to keep somebody like Colbert, who's a fifth safety who can't play anywhere else really. So I think Colbert needs to have a big game and I'm just, I I think he's on the outside looking in right now. The last few 53 man roster projections I've done, I've had him on the outside looking in. So at linebacker, uh, there, it seems like there's an interesting battle shaking out too with, between Aziz Alshair, the impressive undrafted rookie, uh, Elijah Lee, and, and Mark Nzacha. Nzacha, I think, is probably the worst of those three in terms of defense and, and their responsibilities on defense, but probably the best on special teams. So I'm curious to see how much Richard Hightower, the special teams coordinator, how much sway he has in, in making that decision. And I think it could come down to Shair versus Lee straight up. And and I think Lee might have the advantage just in terms of this is his third season. He knows the defense better. He was a, a Mike linebacker with the starters throughout the offseason program while Fred Warner and Quan Alexander were hurt. Um, but Shair might have more upside and he might not have gotten those opportunities because he was coming off an ACL and MCL injury at Florida Atlantic. But Shair's played pretty well in the preseason and in training camp, and Lee has been hurt. He just returned to practice today because of a thumb injury. So I'd imagine that that's a really close competition. I, my feeling is the 49ers would love to get Shair to the practice squad. Uh, there's also a feeling that he might not make it through waivers, and some other team needing depth at linebacker might pick him up. But given the fact that you have Fred Warner and Quad Alexander um, and Dre Greenlaw, I'm not and and Malcolm Smith for that matter. I'm not entirely sure the 49ers would would be all that upset with Shair getting picked up and having to go with Lee because they know Lee and and they trust him. Yes, uh, Al Shair is a fascinating prospect because I think he would have gotten drafted pr- like pretty early on day 3 or relatively early on day 3 had he not torn up his knee pretty badly. He was all over the place at Florida Atlantic. And he's had a pretty nice preseason but yeah I, I I think you're right if it comes down to him and Lee you have Lee who you know can play a couple of spots in the defense and who's experienced and who can who can 
play special teams and I think that's ultimately going to win out over over a guy who went on. So on the defensive line, the bubble guys, you you should probably keep an eye on Julian Taylor, Contavious Street, Demontre Moore. Um, uh, Demontre Moore has gotten a lot of love this preseason. Yeah, you're a big Demontre yeah. Moore guy. <laughs> um, so Kyle's being sarcastic because I think it's funny that everybody has anointed Demontre Moore as like a key contributor on this on this team, and he's played his way onto the 53 man roster. I absolutely do not see it that way. I just don't. I mean, Demontre Moore is more or less a known quantity. He's been in the NFL since 2013. He had a cup of coffee on the Raiders last year who had the worst pass rush in the NFL and the worst group of defensive ends in the NFL. And he could not stay on the Raiders last year. So that's not to say he hasn't had a good preseason or he hasn't had a good training camp. But Nick Bosa is going to be on the roster. D Ford, Solomon Thomas, Eric Armstead, Ronald Blair. Um those are four guys who the 49ers would prefer to have along the edges over Demontre Moore. So Demontre Moore is essentially their fifth defensive end right now. And there simply is not enough room for five defensive ends on a 53 man roster. So maybe if Nick Bosa had to go on an injury list uh, and it opened up a roster spot, you would think about Demontre Moore making it. But to me, you know, I like I think this is sort of a Marcus Rush situation where a guy compiles a lot of meaningless stats against non-starters in the preseason and people inflate that person's skill set. And Demontre Moore is just that guy of this offseason. There's one guy every offseason that some backup who plays well every who, year who fans just clamor over and think like he's better than so-and-so and and he's just not because for a myriad of reasons like Demontre Moore is playing for his livelihood. Um, all the guys above him on the depth chart are not <laughs> like they're, they're playing to get ready for the regular right. season. And there's a different level of intensity that goes along with that. So that's my, that's my Demontre Moore piece yeah. real quick. <laughs> yeah. And may, you know, you, you root for the guy. You hope that, you know, maybe the Niners do keep him or maybe he gets picked up by another team. But realistically, we've seen this before. Marcus Rush was yeah. the guy, right? He was the, oh, he was going to be their best pass rusher. And on a team with not a lot of pass rush, he couldn't make it. And didn't do anything anywhere else in the league afterwards. Right, right. Practice is is really what this comes down to, right? How well does a guy perform in practice? And if he's not performing well in practice, these games ultimately aren't going to matter that much for him. And I think that's what we're running into with Moore. I think I think the guy last year, maybe I'm maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but I think the guy last year was really Richie James. I know he made the team and he contributed a little bit, but I think the thought was that he was going to contribute a lot more than he wound up uh, doing. He had a huge preseason. Demontre Moore last time he had a sack in the NFL, he had a half sack in 2016 as a member of the Seahawks. No sacks in three games. How many games in three did he games play? with the Cowboys? No sacks in two games last year with the Raiders. Um, a guy who got kicked off the Jeez. Giants from getting into a fight. I, I'm just like, look, I get it. He's had a good preseason, but Demontre Moore, I would be shocked. The track record's if he makes not great. Team. Not great. All right. So, last thing uh, tight end. I think there's an intriguing battle going on between Caden Smith, Ross Dwelly, and Levine Toy Lolo. Depending on numbers, I had in my 53 man that the Niners would keep just two tight ends because. I think you could replicate a third tight end with Kyle Juszczyk slash Jalen Hurd. Um, and I kept three quarterbacks and seven wide receivers. So that's where I went thin was that tight end. I think Ross Dwelly does a lot of the same things, obviously at a very, very, very different level than George Kittle, but they both block and they're like, they're both more move pass catching route running tight ends. Whereas Caden Smith is, is not there yet, but maybe a better blocker than Ross Dwelly. And Levine Toy Lolo has been a blocking tight end in the league for six years. And he's played, he's missed one game in six seasons. He's played in uh, 15 games once. Um, he's just been in the league for a long time. And I think he's a really, he's a, he's a veteran who is trusted, I think, by, by the coaching staff and somebody who I could definitely see making the team, at least until Garrett Sellett comes back. So I penciled Le- Levine Toy Lolo in is making the team despite, you know, Ross Dwelly getting, uh, having a good camp and getting a lot more run and Caden Smith being a six round draft pick. I think the 49ers will have, will try to get one of Smith or Dwelly to the practice squad. And if it doesn't work out and they end up getting picked up off waivers, I don't think they would be all, all that concerned about it because they do have two of them. And it's hard to imagine both of them going to another team. So 
having that third tight end on the practice squad might make more sense than having him on the active roster if you're going to keep seven receivers yeah. or three quarterbacks. Losing Ross Dwelly or Caden Smith is not going to make or break the 49ers Super Bowl hopes. That's my take for today. I think that's a strong take to end on. Rack them. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I, I understand like why people get attached to players because you watch them play well and do like make sure. a catch and then you're like, oh my God, we could use that during the regular season. And yeah, obviously. But these guys are replaceable. There are a lot of players out there. Um, you can always draft one the next year. They're generally like Ross Dwelly, Caden Smith. A lot of those type of players are the ones who are available midseason off somebody else's practice squad. So, you know, there might be a player that the 49ers can get elsewhere who's not on the team who could fill that void, fill the Ross Dwelly void during the regular season if there's an injury at some point. So those are the bubble guys you should watch on Thursday. We're going to wrap this thing up. Um, Thank you for listening to Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. And we will talk to you guys later this week with a preview of Final Cuts. And then early next week with a review of the 53-man roster and all the genius slash bonehead decisions Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch made when, when constructing it. So we'll talk to you guys then. For the ones standing guard, for the eagle-eyed, for the knights in shining armor, and for all those who support them, we are Granger, your experienced safety partner, offering supplies and solutions for every industry, committed to helping keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com slash safety, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.